Well, Jesus taught about money uh, more than he did love um, or heaven or hell. Actually, heaven and hell combined. Um, talks about it a lot. And um, we don't here at The Journey a ton. And I think I've confessed to y'all before, that's, that's partly my issue. That's an overreaction uh, from me uh, because I know that uh, churches have messed this up, right? Some of y'all have been harmed by churches that have messed this up. Some of y'all's faith has been harmed by the stories of churches and pastors and people, televangelists and people in the name of Jesus that have messed this up. And so I, I, just, I, just don't, like, I just don't want that to ever be even like sniffed out even a hint of it at the journey. So, so we just kind of erred on the side like, hey, we want to decide, like we want to teach about it rightly. Um, we, we preach through books of the Bible, so wherever it comes up, we're not going to shy away from it, but we don't seek these out a lot. And, and really our commitment, just even as we budget, as we handle money here, is like, hey, we just want to try to present to you what the, what the Bible says about money, uh, challenge you guys to obey the Lord and what you give, and then we'll build a budget around that. Like, I'm just not going to beg y'all for money. I'm not, I don't want anybody leaving here feeling like the church was just, you know, worried about how much they'll get. Like, I just don't want any hint of that. So I'm probably overcorrecting and don't talk about it at all. Others have, have used the leverage of Jesus talking about it all the time to, you know, to manipulate people into giving for their own namesake, for their own church, for their own prosperity or whatever. And it is, it, and, and that all just illustrates how messy this is. And that's why Jesus talks about it so much. Not because he needs it. Okay. We just need to, you just need to honestly think about who Jesus was, is. But when he was on earth, like, he comes, he says often, like, hey, foxes have dens, birds have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You're going to come with me. It's not going to mean material prosperity, you know, like, it, it's going to be rough. It's going to be crazy. Like, Jesus was, was basically an impoverished, like, oftentimes homeless guy out doing ministry. He was not acquiring wealth. He wasn't rolling around on a jet. Okay? He wasn't uh, you know, telling people that he needed a jet so that he could go and do ministry in these other places. He was on foot. He was smelly. He was dirty. He was just you know, sleeping in the wilderness, sleeping on boats. Like, and so we just need to be honest. This is who is speaking to us. The God who left the riches of heaven, came down in humility, condescended from his glory into our mess, was born in a manger, for crying out loud. Like We glorify that and sing about it. No, that's like... He's born amongst the animals in humility and obscurity. So don't let the mistakes of other churches, don't let the, the tainting of the world's view on money, prosperity, a church, like, don't let that define what you think Jesus says about money. Let's let him speak for himself. Can we do that? So, so that's, that's our heart today. We want Jesus speak for himself. When he's talking about money, why is he talking about money? And, and the reason, we say this often, just briefly, every, every Sunday morning we talk about offering. Hey, you know, God's not after your money, but he wants your heart. And we say that the two are to closely tied. And so that's part of the reason we give. And when we give, we're worshiping him. Okay, so that, that's a brief teaching we kind of do almost as a disclaimer every week, but also as an invitation, as a reminder of this act of giving, that we do worship through giving. And things have changed, right? 
right? Y'all used to, we used to have a song that was played or somebody would sing a special and we'd pass the basket. And I remember we had this old cadre deacon at my last church that would like, you know, kind of stand there, all right, pony up kids or dig deep, you know, and he'd like make you feel guilty if you didn't put anything in. You're like, man, I gave last week, but he just, anyway. And so some of y'all are used to different cultures. Now we all give online. There's not necessarily that moment in the service where, where, we, where we give to that, but it is a part of worship. And it's a part of worship because it's so closely tied to our hearts, our security and our, our identity and our hope that Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to be, Tara almost said destroyed instead of devoted. It's legit though, right? It wouldn't have been wrong because that's what happens whenever you get, get when you get uh, overcommitted to, to one. He says, you can't serve both because you, you'll be devoted to one and hate the other and, and that will destroy you. Okay, so Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to be destroyed by the love of money. I don't want you to be consumed by that. So he's inviting us. He's inviting us always, 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 always. Journey, we say this. When God gives us commands, he's never trying to take from us, right? He's a good father trying to lead us to life. So when he comes upon this passage here, this is such a beautiful context. And, and, and sometimes the headings in our Bible almost... Um, take away from the meaning because we fail to sometimes sit in the full context. So if you just look at this, you know, and you're like, oh, I want to read about, you know, money. I want to read about fasting or whatever. You might miss the context. But this teaching right here, don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, is actually, it's in the bigger context of the Sermon on the Mount, which is where Jesus is talking about the kingdom and what it looks like that the kingdom is here. Okay. And in that, he's saying, I've come to bring you life. And here's what life looks like. And he's laying it out. But the more specific context is Jesus just finished talking about hypocrisy. But even in that exhortation about hypocrisy, it's not just a don't be like that. It's an invitation. So if you remember, when we looked at hypocrisy, we spent a couple weeks on the Lord's Prayer. Right before that, we looked at hypocrisy. And in the, the, the three, he talks about when we prayed or when we give, don't be a hypocrite. Don't do it so that other people can see, so just other people know how much you give, how much you contribute, how much you help others. Don't do it like that. And he talks about don't pray in a way that other people, just so that other people notice and, and you look really spiritual. And he says, don't fast in such a way that everybody goes, oh, he's super holy. You know, he, he's, he's denying himself food. Just like, so he's confronting all that. But in that six times in those, those uh, teachings about those things in this short passage, Jesus talks about rewards. Rewards. So he says, if you do it that way, just for other people to notice you, you're going to get, that's it. That's, that's your reward. But instead, don't do it that way. Don't interact with God that way. Don't try to get your identity that way. Instead, do it this way. And your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. So he doesn't shame us for wanting rewards, does he? Instead, he invites us to seek a reward that will actually fulfill us, actually be satisfying. So he knows that as we're living in this world, and it's, it's a crazy world right now. Like Some of y'all are like, oh man, a sermon on money and like, inflation's like out of control and y'all just like, maybe somebody's watching online because they couldn't afford to drive here today. Like the gas prices, it's just crazy, right? And so it's, a, it's an interesting time. So we're, we're triggered, like we're, we're, you know, we have real needs, we have real bills, we have real things to do. And so it, it's not just a, it's not always about want and prosperity. It's like, no, I, I actually have to pay these bills. Like, I don't know if I have anything to give. And, and Jesus is saying in this, I, I know it's hard to live in this world. And to deal with that feeling of insecurity. Jesus is saying, I know, I know what it's like 
That's the part of the reason he does leave heaven and come and live the life that we couldn't live. So he's able to actually look at us as our great high priest, it says in, in Hebrews. He's not somebody who can't sympathize with us. No, he's been there. He knows that it, it's hard to wonder, do I, am I going to have enough, right? Will I be able to provide for my family? Like He, he gets that, and so he's saying, I, I don't want you to be overtaken by that. Instead, I want you to trust in me. So he's addressed, hey, I don't want you to be pursuing, you know, get your life's worth out of trying to get everybody else to notice you and your identity be in what other people think about you. Instead, come to the Father and let him speak to you. Let him give you your identity in this way. You're his child. He's your good father. You get to pray to him. You get to interact with him. And it doesn't matter if anybody sees it or knows it because he has you. So then he's going to transition from that to talking about anxiety, talking about the other way that, that we often get off track is by this pull of possessions, this pull of, am I going to be able to meet my needs? So the passage for next week is don't be anxious, right? And that's where Jesus is going to talk about, hey, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow, what you're going to wear. I got you, right? Consider the lilies, consider the birds. Like I have them, I also have you. That's what's coming. And so all this is, this context right here is actually leading up to that. When it starts next week about not being anxious, it's going to say in verse 25, therefore. Okay, so that means we're ta- he's, he's going to be building off of what we're talking about today. So again, he's not, like the goal here, like some of y'all just view this teaching on money, like all right, another teaching on money, like what, it feels more like a shakedown, right? From a church, like all right, what do I gotta give so I don't feel guilty, right? Gotta crank it up a little bit more, that's right, I got a raise last year, I didn't increase my tithes, so I better fix that. Can Can I be good now? Can I just go back to living life? Like it feels like this, Okay, how, like, what do I got to do to, to move this on? And, and in that posture, we miss the invitation. We miss this idea that he's actually, play, like, he, he's validating our, 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 like, innate drive to seek a reward and to, to long for something that is satisfying. And he's just saying, hey, don't, don't look for don't, don't look to get it out of this world. Instead, get it out of the next world. So I want you to hear, I want you to lean in, I want you to listen to Jesus' heart here as he addresses this temptation for us to, to get and to pursue satisfaction out of money and possessions. Like he, he is not just trying to spoil our fun, right? This is not just a negative command. Hey, don't do that. You know, he's not just up there trying to like, enjoy telling us what not to do. He's inviting us. He's inviting us to life. He says, I've not come like, like the thief to steal, kill, and destroy. Instead, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. So to that end, he says, verse 19, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, so he's saying, listen, I, I know you're, you're, you're tempted to this, and, and, and we need to be really clear, like, the Bible actually doesn't, like, we need to know what he's not saying here. He's not saying that it's wrong to work hard. He's not saying it's wrong to save. He's not saying that it's wrong to earn money. He's not even saying it's wrong to save money for tomorrow and for retirement and have a plan. The Bible actually commends all of those things and calls it wisdom and says that it's unwise and you're a fool if you don't plan for tomorrow. 
And, and he says, if you won't work and provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Like, this is, this is God's design for us to work and earn and provide for our family and, and to make a living. And, and so it's not about, like, money itself is not the problem, okay? So the famous passage of 1 Timothy chapter 6 says that the love of money is the, recru- is the root of all sorts of evil. Okay, so it's, it's not money itself. It's the love of money that corrupts. It's the love of money that, that leads to all sorts of evil. And so money itself is, is a gift. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a necessary resource, and it can be used to glorify God. It can be used to, to bless other people. It can be used to advance his kingdom. But it, it, So it's not about not, you know, he's not saying, hey, don't earn money. Don't, don't make a good living. Don't be wealthy. Don't save for tomorrow. He's not saying any of that. But what he is saying is don't, say, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What does that mean? What, don't put your hope in it. Don't think that you're going to milk this out of life and, and that that will actually satisfy you. He's, and he's making a very simple argument is it doesn't last. It doesn't last. It's actually, it, it's, it's, it's really practical and fatherly and wise. He's just saying, hey, just take a step back and look at this world. You can't actually keep this stuff, right? You know the old saying, you can't take it with you, right? But honestly, you can. Pharaohs tried like the ancient Egyptians t- tried. We'll, we'll look at that at the end, but you can. We know from their stories, like what happened to the stuff they put in their graves with them? Well, it either got robbed by thieves or it's in a museum that you can go look at today. Right? They didn't get to take it with them. So he, he's, he's saying, hey, hey just, just, just be honest here. You need to snap out of it because the world's duped you. How many of you, I think we went through this weird season with our kids where my kids didn't know what commercials were for a long time. And they still don't. They call them ads because that's what YouTube says. Ad. You got five seconds left. You got to watch it, right? I'm, like, they get so frustrated at the ad, dad, the ad's on. I'm like, I, I mean, I used to have to, like, watch commercials, kids. Like, 30-minute program was actually, you know, what, 19 minutes of programming, and, you know, the, the, the rest of it was commercials or whatever. Like, and so we went through a season where they didn't really get that, and when they didn't watch much that, you know, wasn't a movie or, or on Netflix. For, and so, man, we didn't really have, like, the asking for all these gifts, but now all these ads are coming in, and they're so targeted, right? And if, if you let one play through, oh, you must really like that, so I'm going to throw 75 others at you per minute uh, about that particular thing, right? And so my girls are getting, you know, targeted about what the, their interest, of, whether it be gymnastics or Barbies or whatever, and there's all these ads. And, and what happens is, that, you know, marketing is so brilliant that it, it, it's there to trick you. It's there to trick you, right? To, in order to what? To get you to give them their money, or in my kid's case, get, get them to, get me to give them my money. And it's evil, right? But, but they, get, they get all like worked up. I gotta have this thing, right? I gotta have this thing, I gotta have this thing. And it, and it, gets, and it gets consuming. And Jesus is saying, hey, snap out of it. Like I have to tell this to my kids, like, hey, I know you really think you want that. And maybe we can get it. But like, you need to know it's just a thing. And when you get that thing, you're gonna want another thing because that thing isn't going to satisfy you. It's going to end up in a pile in the corner a few months later before next Christmas we're going to do a purge and we'll give that thing to somebody else, right? That's how it works. So Jesus is saying, hey, hey don't, don't try to get the goody out of life. Don't try to get satisfied here. It, it won't work, right? Um, so there's a, there's a proverb. It's so beautiful. So like, just, I, I just love it. Proverbs 23, it says, it says this, do not toil 
to acquire wealth. Verse 4 and 5. Be discerning enough to desist. Because when your eyes light on it, when your eyes look at wealth, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings and flying like an eagle toward heaven, right? And so he's just simply saying, don't, don't toil for wealth. Don't, don't spend your energy for that because why? It's going to sprout wings and fly away. It's never enough, right? John D. Rockefeller, you know, somebody asked him, how much is enough money? He said, just a little bit more, right? Just a little bit more. Just saying, you, you, can't, you can't do it. You won't be satisfied. You won't find it there. There's, it it's going to get eaten by moths. They had actual issues, right? Moths would come in, eat their stuff, right? They try to store it. They try to lock it away, right? The, the oxygen, the moisture is going to cause it to rust, right? They, they would try to bury it, right? Store it there. What? Worms come along and destroy it. Eat it up, right? How many of y'all know somebody that doesn't trust banks and hides money all around their property? Um, I, know, I know this guy. He's a fascinating individual. Maybe I've told y'all about him before, but he's one of my dad's friends, and he's a straight-up hippie. But he, if you were here, you wouldn't know it. He dresses like a normal person. But if you roll up on his property, he's probably naked, like out in his garden. That's just how he rolls. But he lives so far removed that nobody ever knows that. This guy's been off the grid for years, and he still is. So back in like the 70s, this dude had a, like he was doing hybrid vehicles before that was even a thing. He didn't have any power back there. So he rigged up this, these, this like cells of batteries on his truck. And when he drove like 50 miles one way to work and back, it was charging those batteries. He'd come home, plug his house into his truck so he'd have lights and hot water and stuff. Fascinating individual. That dude has like he's the hired money in coffee cans like around his property. And uh, I remember he gave me, uh, he gave me a, uh, like a thousand, like a thousand pesos bill when I was going to go on a Mexico uh, mission trip when I was 18. He's like, Hey, I have this one of my last trips. I, I want you to take it and, you know, use it for your trip. And I was like, all right, cool. So that's like a hundred bucks and ish at that time, uh, American money. I was like, okay, cool. So I saved that for like my market day to like go and pay for stuff and, you know, buy stuff. And I, I go to hand it to the lady and they were just like, what is, what? they hand it back to me. I'm like, no, no. Like, she's like, it's very old. And I was like, okay, like, can you, she's like, we don't use this anymore. And I was like, oh, great. And like, they went and got their man. It was like, nope, can't spend that. It was, he had kept it for so long. It spoiled. It was no longer a valid form of currency. And so I thought I had $100. I didn't, right? Like, it's cool. Maybe I still got it somewhere. I'm putting it in a frame or something, but it's no longer good. He did the same thing with a can of money. That dude, like, took, like, tried to take it and go spend something. They wouldn't take it. It was like molded and out of date. And they're like, no, bro, like, this, this stuff has to circulate or it's no good anymore. Like, you can't hold on to it. You can't. Just saying, just snap out of it. Don't be fooled into thinking that you can. Instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where it cannot be destroyed. He's very simply saying, hey, if you want to invest in something that's going to actually be there for you, right? And that's, you know, any financial advisor, they're trying to convince you they're going to get you the best return and they know how to manage the market, which is crazy, right? Like, right? But he's saying, you want to actually invest in something that's going to be there, invest in heaven and and you'll actually get to enjoy that stuff. Well, what does that look like? Okay, so as we're you know, laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, I, I, maybe I can illustrate it. There's a lot of different ways this works itself out, but maybe let's just look at the life of a pastor and how this can go wrong, like I mentioned at the beginning. So oftentimes, um, well, this, let me just use Chad. So, hey, good news, church. We hired Chad this week. He'll start in a couple of weeks. So uh, I'm super excited about Chad Flannery coming on as our associate pastor. And so, He's, uh, and some of y'all, and we're not. They leave a position as a dean of students and come and work for the church, where I assume we're not paying them as much, and we're not. And uh, it's a solid question, you know? You're like, 
Is there something I'm missing here? But no, he's, he, he's, he feels called, right? And so he's, he's walking away from this in a, in a good-hearted posture of trusting the Lord to give his life to ministry. Okay, and I'm not, he doesn't know I'm talking about this. I'm not trying to put him on a pedestal. And, and most pastors start out that way, right? We feel called to ministry. So we're going to give of our life. It doesn't, it's not about the money. But somewhere along the way, we, we could start to uh, begin to enjoy the, the applause of people. We can begin to enjoy people liking our sermons, people talking about our church, people inviting their friends, attendance growing. We start to think, oh, this is, this is really good. We can begin to enjoy the budget, the, the, the pay raises, those sorts of things. And somewhere along the way, we, we, we stop storing up treasure in heaven, which is what Chad just signed on to do. Right? Like I'm, I'm going to walk away from a more fruitful and, and um, a higher salary here in, in order to invest in my eternal treasure, but somewhere along the way they can get conflated and we start, maybe it's not even about money. Maybe it's about the approval of men. Maybe it's about, you know, liking. And so we start to change why we're serving. We start to begin to, uh, you know, serve uh, the church out of this compulsion to earn money or to earn approval or to pray. And, and that's the shift between storing up treasures in heaven and storing up treasures here on earth, right? And that happens even in the ministry. It plays itself out in all of your occupations as well. Right? What is your posture? What are you thinking about? How do you, how do you view the money that you have? Right? Some of you, God's blessed you with wealth, right? Okay, that, that doesn't, you don't need to leave here feeling guilty. You need to leave here reflecting, okay, Lord, what, what would you have me to do with this? How do I view it? Is, it? is it something God has given me to steward so that I can bless other people, so I can advance his kingdom, so I can bring glory to his name? Or is it something for me to milk all that I can out of it? Solomon warns us in Ecclesiastes 5, he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth is not going to be satisfied with his income. He says, this is vanity. Vanity. You know the book of Ecclesiastes, this is Solomon, one of the richest, wisest, most successful men to ever live, and he sets out to write a manifesto, saying, I'm going to figure out what life's about, and he tries everything. He says, Ah, you think, you know, you think just a little bit more like Mr. Rockefeller will satisfy you? It won't. It won't. It, it, you, you, the, he who loves money will never be satisfied with money. Some of y'all have written, written this off thinking, well, you know, I, I'm not wealthy, Jordan. Like, I, I, you know, I, this, is, this, is, this, is a, this is a sermon for somebody else. This, is, this must be a sermon for the rich people. You know, like, I'll, I'll just endure this one and we, we'll, we'll move on. But, but here's the deal. I heard this from a friend. He said, um, the reality is you don't actually have to have money to be in love with money. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He's going to go further to illustrate it in verse 22 and says, the eye of the lamp is, or, <clears throat> the eye is the lamp of the body. Okay. feels like a weird transition here. The, the idea of the eye and the heart are pretty synonymous in scripture. It's talking about like where our will or motion, like our, our you know, decision making, like what, what are we fixed on? So, it, so he's, he's saying the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light that is in you is darkness, then how great is the darkness? Okay, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, when you become in love with money, whether you have it or you don't have it, it consumes and, and drives and informs all of your behavior, okay? So he says the eye is the lamp of the body. Like that, it's, it's this, this idea that, hey, what we see very much determines, you know, where I step, how I walk, how I approach life, right? Like it's practical. What I see determines what I do, 
Okay, so he's saying, spiritually speaking, what we have our, our, our gaze fixed on, what we're, what we're focused on, what we're after, will determine how we behave. Does that make some sense? Whatever we are latched onto, Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, right, there your heart will be also. He's playing on this idea of like, what are you thinking about? What are you pursuing? What are you daydreaming about? What do you, what, you know, what gets you up to go to work? What gets you up to, you know, to do the things you're doing? Like that thing is going to be consuming you. You guys know what it's like to kind of have your heart set on something, right? You've said stuff like that, and it's innocent enough. You, you get the idea, of, oh, you're going to get a new car, you, you know, and, and you're just like, research, maybe, maybe you don't care about that. Maybe for you, it's something else, right? It's something in your house, or it's a new outfit, or a new purse, or I don't know. But, you know, you, you start to think about it, right? And now you're, you've got free time. Now you're Googling about that car, right? We've got a lot of Jeep owners here at, at the journey. I'm one of them. Like, that can consume your mind. Like, there's just an uh, excessive, unending amount of like, accessories and things that you can do to a Jeep. So you start, oh, I could do this. And, and, you know, and then now, social media and the internet has, has figured out how to make that into an algorithm. Right? You looked at one Jeep ad, so now they're just going to keep throwing them at you all the time. So now you don't have to do the search in yourself. It's just going to throw it on there. You get your, your heart set on something. You, you can kind of track with that, what that means. Well, Jesus is saying, hey, take a, take a step back. It's not just about one thing here and there. Your heart is set on something when it comes to your whole life. Your heart is set on something when it comes to how you behave, what jobs you take, what, how you treat people, how you treat your body, how you treat church, how you treat money. And he's saying, when it's good, like when you're free from the love of money, it, like life's okay. You don't, you don't have the anxiousness that, that we're going to talk about next week. You could see clearly, right? So if your eye's healthy, your whole body will be full of light. It's good, right? When you are free from this love of money, when you realize, oh man, this is about me and God. God's blessed me. He's promised to take care of me. Whatever he gives me, I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to have enough or whether I make the right decisions. I just trust in him, follow him. You can do life really well, right? You can be blessed. You lose a job. You're not devastated, right? You get a promotion. You're not you know, like you're, you're even keel, right? Because your, your identity, your hope, your security is not going up and down with the market or up and down with your income or up and down with, you know, the, the age of your kids and whether they're in college and what college they're going to and whether they got, you know, a car. And somebody reminded me that I got three daughters and they're probably all going to get married and dresses and weddings and college. And I was like, I don't have a plan for any of that. Good grief. Um, that's, that's like terrifying. I'm, but, right, if, when, you're, when you're anchored in the Lord, that doesn't, shouldn't lead you to the fetal position, right? Why? Because, yeah, he'll provide. Like, he's going to give you wisdom, right? He, he wants you to be wise about your money, like, for sure, but it doesn't need to devastate you in this up and down. So when, you're, when your eyes are fixed on the Lord, as we just sang about, that's why it says the things of this world will grow strangely dim, not that the world doesn't matter, but when you see Jesus as your primary focus, when your heart is set there, when your eye is, is fixed there, the rest of the stuff doesn't carry the same weight. You can approach it with clarity, with freedom. But, verse 23, if your eye is bad, meaning you get it locked on something else, then your whole body's bad. It's going it's to determine how you act. It's going to determine how you, you posture yourself, how you live, what job, like 
How you treat people, how you treat your job, how you treat your family, how you treat your own body, like all of that will be determined by what you've got yourself fixed on. And so he's saying, listen, if the light that's in you is, is darkness, so he's saying something is driving you, okay? Something is, is, is what your eye is fixed on, your heart is fixed on. And if that's darkness, man, how much is that gonna corrupt your whole life and your whole being? Okay? Again, this is Jesus setting us down, a father to his children saying, hey, don't, don't fall into that trap. Don't, don't, don't fall into that trap. Money's here, and it's a good thing, and I'll, and I'll give it to you as much as you need it. And when I give it to you, it's for you to you know, take care of your needs and to bless others and to bring glory to me. But don't fall into the trap to thinking that, you have to, like, that you're on your own and that you've got to store it up, that you've got to hoard it. Remember last week we talked about, give us this day our daily bread. That's based in this, the, the story of the Exodus when he gave them manna from heaven. And he told them, hey, get just enough for today. If you try to get more and store it up for tomorrow, just in case God doesn't show up, what's going to happen? It's going to spoil so get just enough for today and trust him for tomorrow. This is the invitation from Jesus. Don't let money be your God. Don't let money be your, like, your hope and your security. Instead, trust in him. Trust in him. He is the good shepherd. He is the good master. Okay? Which is what he says in verse 24. Hey, listen, children, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. For either you'll end up hating one and loving the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Some of you are functionally disagreeing with Jesus. Like, you probably know that passage exists, but you actually think, I mean, I'm, I'm doing all right with that. Like, I, you know, maybe you're not that explicit about it, but, but you actually believe it's possible to serve two masters. Right? See, a lot of us, we, we manage to do that by either serving God on Sundays and then money or mammon through the rest of the, the week, right? Or other people serve God with their lips, right, with what they say, but in their heart, they're actually serving money. That's the hypocrisy. Make sure everybody thinks I'm following God, but in my heart, here's what I'm really after, right? I know how to say the right things, pray the right things, look, you know, put the bumper stickers on and, you know, have the, the look, but when it comes to my heart, like it's actually far from the Lord. Or we, we serve God in appearance, but with, you know, money in reality. Or God with half our being, money with, with the other half, right? Like, we, we, we don't actually think we need to hear this because most of us have compared ourselves to other people, and we think we're not that bad. So I don't really need to be confronted with this kind of drastic calling me to live sacrificially. Like this whole idea of what our eyes fixed on and whatever. Like when we're confronted with challenges like this from the Lord or from anybody, uh, when, we're, when you're confronted, period, what, what's the first thing you want to do? Well, you want to defend yourself, right? You want to, you, like that's just a natural reaction. And so oftentimes what we'll do is we'll start looking for people who will tell us what we want to hear. Right? You ever notice that? Or may, maybe it's easier to see when you've confronted somebody else. And all of a sudden, they've got four or five witnesses that tell them, well, you know, that's not wrong. Or, you know, this person really, they, they, they believe this about me, right? You start seeking out the people who are going to affirm what you want to hear, what you actually believe in your own life, right? That's just, that's kind of this natural posture. So we, we kind of do the same thing when it comes to money. We want to look around and go, well, I'm not that guy, right? I'm not that person, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not living that way. Like, I'm not, 
you know, I'm not Jeff Bezos making my own evacuation plan by building a, you know, a freaking rocket or whatever. Like, I'm not, I'm not there, right? Like, and so you think like, okay, this, this, is, this is not really for me. Like, Jordan, I'm not worried about amassing these, these, these riches. I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get like this, if I could just get to this level. So, so many of us think that. If I, can just, if I can just get here, I'll actually be content. I, I, I'm not there. I'm not this person. I'm not consumed with money. I'm not, I, I'm not you know, an idol. Uh, I'm not an idolatry. I'm not serving money as my master. You think that because you don't have money compared to so-and-so. But here's the reality. You're not comparing yourself to the right people because you're a daggum American and you're rich. Period. You're like, well, I don't know. I'm just a caller. It doesn't matter. Right? You're rich. If you drove here in a car today, you're rich. If you got a friend who brought you in a car today, you're probably still rich. Right? You start looking at the grand scheme of the world and people that, that live on less than a dollar a day. Like, it's crazy how wealthy we are. And Jesus is not trying to shame us for that. He's just saying, don't trust in that. It will betray you. Inflation will take it from you. Right? He's saying, don't trust in it. It's very real because you start to feel it in moments like this when inflation goes up and now you said the, the budget you had is no longer relevant. Some of your type A's have done, redone your budget like four times in the last three months, right? Like, I don't know what's playing on this one. You can't go anywhere. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> can't play for the gas, right? Like you're just like, you're, you're starting to twitch a little bit. It'll take it from you. Jesus is saying, don't let it have that kind of hold on you. Well, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you prevent it from having that kind of hold on you? Well, he says, make sure you're building up treasure in heaven. Right? Use it to advance the kingdom of God. And, and guess what? When you get to heaven, it'll be there to meet you. If you use your resources, your finance, your possessions to advance the kingdom of God, It'll be there to greet you when you arrive. Like, you will actually get to reap the fruit of this harvest. You'll actually get to see your investment. You'll get to see the smiling people that you didn't even know you blessed by giving to that missionary or giving to the church. Or, or get, like, you're going to get to rejoice at what God has done through your, what seemed like a small gift. God used it to, to bring somebody out of addiction or to bring a kid into a, a foster home that actually loved him and, and gave them hope or, or to bring somebody the good news across the globe where they've never heard of Jesus, all of a sudden you see, oh, God used me to that end, and, it, and you get to actually rejoice in it and enjoy it forever. This is the invitation of Jesus, is, hey, you should seek reward. It's not wrong. Don't feel guilty about wanting to get a, an ROI. Just make sure you, you've, you've considered where the investment is, because if it's anything to do with here on earth, it will not last you. It's a bad investment. It's a bad investment. Change your strategy. I want us to consider as we as we wrap up here. I want you know. I want us to consider. I joked about the pharaohs earlier. Verse twenty four talks about serving two masters. The idea of slavery in the Bible is often tied back to God's people in Egypt, right, where the Pharaoh is, has them enslaved, getting more out of them, giving them less food, less resources, but demanding more bricks, right? 
And if you think about the pharaohs, you look at them historically. Man, Egypt was amazing. Right? I guess it's, like it's, it's, it's amazing what they accomplished. The engineering, the ingenuity, the way that they did. Like, it's, it's amazing. These guys were not dummies. They got some stuff done. It was incredible. And you know what they did when they, when they died? Right? After amassing all of this wealth on the backs of other people, usually, right? To earn glory for themselves. I mean, the glory, like the, the tombs, all of that. Like, you think about King Tut. Like, you, you read about this stuff in history. It, and it was incredible. But when they died, they, they literally tried to take it with them. They believed that they were going to go to the afterlife and they would join the gods, that they would become a god. But they didn't want to show up as a poor god, right? They wanted to take their comforts with them. They wanted to take their stuff with them. So that's why they made sure it was all buried with them. But then more than that, like they're, they're, they're still wanting like people to serve them. So they would have like pets killed with them. They would have, you know, male servants, female servants, like killed there with them so that they could what? Join them and keep serving them in the afterlife. It's a crazy thing. Like you read about the way they did this. Like, okay, Pharaoh died. Like, all right, you're in this household. It's like lining up. All right, you're taking the deal. Why? So you can go, just security guards going with them, servants going with them, going with them. So they think, right? They're, they're slaughtering them in the grave so that they can go with them into the afterlife. And, and we know like, that party got spoiled, right? That stuff didn't go anywhere. I said earlier, it either got stolen, ravaged by thieves, or it's in a museum. Like, it, it didn't work that way. In contrast, I want you to think about our king. I want you to think about Jesus, the king of kings. I want you to think about him in comparison to the pharaohs. The, the pharaohs work hard in their life to, you know, to amass all this wealth on other people's back. Jesus abides and exists in great wealth, and he is on the throne from eternity past. Yeah, the pharaohs and the Egyptians, they create, like they engineered the pyramids and the construction there is, is baffling and it's wonderful. But here's the deal. Our Jesus, he spoke and Mount Everest whoo, comes up. The whole Himalayan mountain range, the whole Rockies, the Niagara Falls, the Grand Canyon. He speaks that into existence. That's our king, right? That's our Jesus. Like he rolls on a whole nother level than the pharaohs. He sits on a throne that is untouched by moth, rust, destroy. It, it, he's never threatened by other kingdoms. He's never threatened by his reign ending. He has got it secure and unlocked. And yet, and yet Philippians 2 says he didn't consider that something to be grasped. He didn't consider that he had to hold on to that. Instead, he, he opened up his hands of that glory. He laid it down and he took on flesh. Do you think about that transition from that level of glory into the manger as a helpless babe born into poverty and obscurity and not even demanding service? You think about the pharaohs. They were so worried about the next life that they wouldn't have people to tend to them. That they, they took other people's lives just so that they would be blessed on the other side. Jesus do. He says, hey, I'm not here. I'm not here to be served. I'm not, I'm not here to be served. I, I'm here to, to serve and to give my life as a ransom for, for many. Like, so in contrast to the Pharaoh of being afraid to die alone, Jesus instead dies alone for us so that we don't have to be afraid. This is our master that is, that is inviting us, commanding us, hey, find your life here. 
Money and the world is a cruel taskmaster. Master, it will never be enough. It will keep grinding more and more out of you. You'll never be satisfied. You'll always be empty. And if we think about it, we look back to earlier, right? There's, uh, we talk about seeking out people that'll tell us what we wanna hear. If we're honest, the examples of the world telling us, hey, life isn't found here are all over. Are all over. By and large, the celebrities and the wealthy business people that you know are they happy people? No, they're losing their ever-loving minds most of the time, right? Stories, tabloids about them going off the deep end. Like there's, there's story after story of saying, hey, life is not found here. Look somewhere else. Like that's what Solomon himself was saying in Ecclesiastes 5. Like don't, don't look for life here. You won't find it. Wise people are discerning enough to desist. Don't pursue life in money. Don't pursue life in wealth. Instead, look elsewhere. And if we're, if we're willing to do that, we can acknowledge the vanity of that pursuit of wealth. And instead, we can turn to a good master, to a good king, who says, yeah, you can put your energy here. I'll hold it for you. I'll make sure it's secure. We'll enjoy it together on the other side. Like, that's the invitation of Jesus. He's not trying to get your money. Like, he's not trying to take money from you. I want you to hear this quote from Jerry Bridges. He says this, if money wins out in our lives, it's not God, but we who lose. Ultimately, here's a, like, spoiler alert, God doesn't need your money, right? If we spend it on ourselves, it's us who will become spiritual paupers, if you're holding out on God and not giving, like, because you want to have it for yourself, you're the one losing, not God. You're not, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to harm his retirement plan by not giving your part. No, it's not about that. He is commanding and inviting us to give for our own good and ultimately for his glory, but his glory leads to other people's good, right? Like, that's, like, God is pursuing his glory not just because it, you know, he's really vain. Like, no, that's the greatest good that mankind can know. And so the more people that hear about the goodness of God, the more people that can be set free from the financial pursuit and the slavery of going into debt and pursuing more and giving ourselves to a, to a pursuit of wealth that will not satisfy. It's like sprouting wings and flying away. It's not, not God who loses out. It's us. It's us. And Jesus has earned the right to say this because he gave his life to set us free from this pursuit. Okay, so I want to close with a few questions. I want you to ask yourself this honestly. Jesus says, hey, where your money is, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, peruse your bank account. tells you something about where your treasure is, and that tells you something about where your heart is. So ask yourself this question. Do you pray about where you'll spend money? Okay, generally, as you budget, do, are you praying then? Like, how, where are we going to set what amount aside, right? Do you pray about, like, before you book a vacation, before you buy a new car, before you make investments into the future, like, do you actually bring those things to the Lord. Remember, this is not about guilting you. This is about diagnosing you. 
He wants to heal you, okay? Hear, hear the Savior's heart here. Like, what a, what a failure this whole idea would be if, if we just leave here and I've cranked just a little bit more tithe dollars out of you guys. Bull. I don't want that. Lord doesn't want that. Right? The success would be when we all lay our whole lives down before God as a blank check and say, Lord, how much do you want me to keep? Because it's all yours. What do you want me to do with it? He'll handle the church budget. He'll handle my salary. Like, whatever. That's, the, that's what he's worried about. It's your heart. Like, be- between you and him. Like, let, let this be a mirror that, that, that diagnoses our own hearts and our, and our posture between us and money and how that's affecting our relationship with God because he's really clear you can't serve God in money. You can't do God on Sundays and money through the rest of the week. You can't do a little. No, he says you'll end up hating one and loving the other. You've seen that play out. It doesn't even need to be illustrated that much. You've seen it. So, do you give? Like, do you, are you a giver? I, I, I do not know. I don't know who gives what. I don't know how much you give. I don't allow myself access to that information. I don't, I don't want to know it. I don't trust myself with it. Like, that's just not a thing I need to know. So I'm not looking at anybody in particular. You need to ask yourself this question. And it's not about the church need money. He's wise enough to get ministry done. Like he wants you to worship him and you to trust him. He wants your heart, but he takes what you give in, in worship of him and uses it to get ministry done. He's done that since the beginning. He gives 12 tribes of Israel, they all get inheritance, right? But the, the Levites, they're the ones that are gonna work for the church. They're gonna work, work for the temple. Everybody else is gonna bring their offerings to the Lord in worship, and the Levites get to eat a part of that. That's how they earn their living. It's the same principle. He's carried that into the New Testament. Yes, we pay for ministry by what you all give, okay? Like, that, that's a practical thing. The Lord's not greedy. He's just really smart in how he set up his kingdom to work, right? He's just smart. So do you, are, are you giving at all? And then, beyond that, let's dig a little deeper. Is what you give, is it from the top or is it from the bottom? Is it the first fruits? That's the Old Testament language of, of the harvest. You, you, would, you would actually, God commanded, you give from the first fruits, not from your leftovers, right? What does that mean? When, when the first fruits come in, like that's going to be telling what the rest of the harvest is. It's not like, see if it pans out and my equipment all runs and whatever, and then I'll give from God. No, we're going to give right off the top as a, as a declaration. God, I trust in you and not in my wealth. I heard a, a story about, about a, a, a man who was, you know, had a simple farm, and he got really excited one year when his, cat, when his cow had two calves, and one was like reddish brown and one was white. And he said, and he got, came into his wife. He says, hey, I really feel like the Lord has told, told me to dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. So when they grow, you know, when they get of age, we're going we're gonna to slaughter it. We're going to send one, we're going to sell one of them. And we're going to use that money to pay for our, our bills and, and eat of the, the meat. And the other one, we're going we're gonna to give those, the proceeds all to the Lord. And she said, well, which one, which, the red one or the, or the white one? He's like, oh, you know, we'll figure that out later. Right? And we'll just trust. And well, a few months later, he comes in and says, well, the Lord's calf has died. She says, well, how, how do you know? Like, I didn't think you'd figured it out. Well, I decided before that the white one was the right? And that's how we operate. Right? When the budget gets pinched, when we get, when we get on, you know, like, not sure, oftentimes giving is the first thing that we take from because it feels excess. That, that's the question. Is it coming from the top or the bottom? 
Is it the first fruits or is it leftovers? Is it, is it I'll give to you, God, if, I, if everything else is met? And listen, again, we're going to talk about anxiety next week. That's his heart. Trust in me. Trust in me, not in your finances. Because if you don't, you'll end up freaking out in 2022 when inflation goes crazy. Like he's, he actually cares about your life right now. This is not just like disconnected ancient literature. He actually cares about your heart and your anxiousness right now. And this is his answer. Give to me. Worship me. Put your treasure with me. And there your heart will be and we'll get through this together. <clears throat> now, here's a real telling question. Do you not ask the Lord about these things because you think he doesn't care? Or because you're afraid he actually does care and he'll actually answer? Right? If you're not having these kinds of conversations with God about your money, is it because you think he doesn't care and he's not going to answer anyway? Or is it because you actually know that he cares and he, he will answer and you don't want to hear what he has to say? And then ultimately, what, what, do these, what do these answers tell you? Jesus is really clear. You can look at your finances and you'll see evidence of where your heart is. And he's saying, hey, the world, money, your job, other people, it's a really bad place to find life. Jeremiah says it's like, it's like trying to draw from empty, broken wells. They're just not going to hold the water that you, that, you're, that you need. He says, come to me that you may have life. Come to me, drink of the everlasting water. Like that's his invitation. So as we reflect, I want to I leave those questions up there. And as we move into a time of response, I want you to Spend a few minutes answering these, these questions honestly. I think sometimes the music is a bailout. Okay, I don't have to think about it. Let's set in this for a minute. I thought about passing a basket. Ah, I'm not going to do that. But this would be a good time for you to evaluate. Maybe you've had automatic giving set up for years. You don't think about it, and the Lord's prompting you to change that amount. I don't know. Not going to look to see this week, but like you, you talk to the Lord with that. If you're not giving it all, this would be a good time to start. Right? If you realize, man, I, I, I'm just giving God what I have to, or what, like, okay, let, let, let him answer these questions for you. Why? Because he loves you. He's trying to rescue you. He's trying to set you free. Will you let him? Let's pray. God, help us. Money so evasive and subtle to our hearts. It's needed. It's just, we just help us, Lord. Would you shine your light of grace on our hearts and expose us for our good so that we can trust more in you, be set free in you, find life in you. And then, Lord, man, use us. Use our meager gifts here at the Journey to Illinois to blow up your glory, to bring kingdom glory, kingdom advancement over Southern Illinois and to the world, to the, to the nations. Help us to have a heavenly perspective about our lives. Help us to hear the voice of you, our Father, here this morning. in your name we pray, Jesus.